0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was October 1992. Christmas was just around the corner and my mom had given my brother Seth, my older brother, and me the oh so magnificent task annually of making our birthday and Christmas lists. See, we only had to make one list in our house. My brother's birthday is November 26th, mine's November 28th, and then Christmas is right around the corner, so we always made one birthday and Christmas list. I was ready to make that list. I had been ready for the last 11 months. When that uh, that 25-pound, 800-page JCPenney catalog was dropped at the front step, it was my time to shine. I would take that thing and for hours, I would circle in red permanent marker what I wanted for Christmas. I would earmark pages. That was what I looked forward to each year. I made that list and I made it a good one. My brother Seth, he was doing the same thing and after we made our list, we sat down to compare. And as we looked at each other's list, we needed to make an important decision. Would we ask for it again? Three years in a row, we didn't get it. And disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Would we ask for it again? The answer? Yes. Do you know what it was? The Nintendo Entertainment System. Yes, the Nintendo, you know, the, the beautiful, gray, box-shaped 8-bit beauty with the sleek two-button controllers. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Man, this thing was, this thing was a thing of beauty, or in those days, it was what we called rad. Right? It was, it was rad. We had to have it. But we had been disappointed for the last three years. But we decided we would let Mom and Dad know one last time. One last year we decided we would both put it at the top of our list. <clears throat> and we were, we were now completely at the mercy of our parents. Well, our, our parents, they understood our request. They knew our dream. I believe they could even feel our disappointment. And it was in their hands, right? Well, soon enough, Christmas came. Christmas came it when we did the Christmas tradition. Dad is the one who sits down around the tree and passes out the presents, right? So the presents came, sweaters, boring. Socks, even more boring. Oh how the times have changed. Well, oh, those things are at the top of my list this year. But uh, that's, that's beside the point. Right? Uh, I got some of those, I got some of those JCPenney catalog presents, and man, I was pretty excited about that, but there was still that one thing missing. But then, but then my dad, you know, he did that thing. He reached around the back of the tree, and he pulled it out, and there was one present left, and it said on the front, on the tag, to Seth and Aaron from Mom and Dad. He set it right between my brother and me. He got poised with his camera. My brother and I gave each other that well-understood look in the eye. We each grabbed a corner of the present and started tearing it slowly open. And as soon as that box revealed its contents, man, to this day, I've never seen a present get opened faster. Right? I mean, we high-fived. We got that Nintendo. Heidi the dog started barking. It was a, it was a party. The wait was over. The wait was over. Waiting is rough. I don't wait very well. <laughs> None of us do, I don't don't think. I think with each passing day, we wait less and less well. We don't handle boredom well. We fill our time and we fill our time. So, in the church, we're going to practice waiting. That's what the season of of Advent is all about. It is is a time for us to practice waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the return of our King, Jesus Christ. Advent is not just about preparing for Christmas. It's not just about making your list, checking it twice, and and getting all the right presents. That's not what Advent is about. Advent is about focusing on the fact that our God is a God who delivers on his promises. And just from the very old times, he promised that he would come, and he did. He's promised he will come back. Therefore, we trust that he will And so we are perpetually in a season of Advent, perpetually waiting for him to come again. During these Sundays of Advent, we are going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus as Matthew's recorded it in Matthew chapter 1. And we we will basically focus on how generation after generation after generation before Christ was waiting on the promises of the coming Christ. Since the very dawn of time... About 60 billion people have walked on the face of the earth. And if you think of it, only a handful of those people have really made any truly significant lasting impact on the greater whole. And out of those handful of people, there is one that stands above all others. We know his name as Jesus. But Jesus never wrote a book, yet millions of books have been written about him. Jesus never painted a picture that we know of, and yet millions of the greatest artists uh, have have had Jesus as their inspiration. Jesus never raised up an army, and yet millions of people have fought and died in his name. Jesus only had a handful of followers when he walked on the face of the earth, but as of today, about 30% of the world's population follows Jesus. To ignore Jesus is disastrous. To reject Jesus is fatal, but to know Jesus is to love him, and to love him is to trust him, and to trust Jesus leads you to be radically, drastically, and eternally changed. Therefore, the greatest question that we as human people can ask in this life is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you were with us at our outdoor worship service, which seems kind of a long ways past, on Rally Day, we asked this question as we kicked off our fall ministry season. We asked this question, who is Jesus? And during our Sundays of Advent, we're going to flesh this conversation out even more because it's so important for us to know who Jesus is. Matthew, the the author of the very first gospel, Matthew really wants us to know who Jesus is. And that's why Matthew starts with this genealogy that I just read for you, with a whole list of names that we usually just pass right on by, but this is why Matthew puts it here, because Matthew desperately wants us to know who Jesus is. And so today we're going to begin with this truth. We're going to focus on the fact that Jesus is, as Matthew says, the son of David. Again, here's how this book began, with these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who? The son of David. All right. Jesus is the son of David. And who was David? He was a king. And, and the names of people there, those are the names of the kings of Israel, all right, that are listed in Matthew. So if David was a king and Jesus is the son of David, what does that make Jesus? It makes him king. But when we confess that Jesus is king, we should not confuse Jesus' role as, as king with the way that we view um, American politicians. All right. Uh, what are American politicians famous for? I, well, I would say they're famous for making big, bold promises and that they always follow through on, right? No, right? They, they make big, bold promises to get us to put our trust in them, and how often do they actually come true? Not all that often. Jesus is, yes, a ruler but he's a different kind of ruler. He's a a different kind of king. He is a king who was promised, and he came, and he's a king who has made promises. But we've learned, right? Do we trust rulers who make promises? Our experience says no, but this king, this ruler, this Jesus has made promises to us, and he always follows through. He always follows through. Matthew starts with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we hear that term Jesus Christ and we misunderstand that term. Uh, Jesus is not his first name and Christ is is not his last name, okay? Christ is not his last name. When Jesus went uh, to to get his donkey driver's license, right, down to the, the DMV, the Department of Donkey Motor Vehicle. I don't know, whatever. Trust me, he had to get one of those. I, I believe it, right? When he went down there, the, the clerk didn't say to him, okay, last name, Christ, first name, Jesus. Right? No, that's not how it works. Uh, Jesus is his birth name. It's the name he was given at his birth. And Christ is a Greek word. That's a translation of the Hebrew word, Messiah. And both of those things, Messiah and Christ, both mean anointed one. But what does that mean? The whole Old Testament pointed to the fact that a king would come who would be anointed, that means had the Holy Spirit poured out on him, and who would follow through with God's rule and reign and God's mission. The Old Testament says that he would come from the lineage of David, he would be born in David's city, and he would sit on David's throne. And so Matthew, right from the very get-go of his gospel, is making the case and saying, The king has come. The king has come. By the time Matthew's writing his gospel and Jesus is walking, Israel has been without a legitimate king for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years. They haven't really, there's been kings of Israel, but not really fully functioning as they should. And so Matthew has his work cut out for him as he's saying to the people, you've been looking for the king. You've been looking for the, the Messiah. He's here. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised son of David. You know, Jesus is this king. He's this promised king, the one that the Old Testament pointed to. And Matthew, Matthew really, really wants people to know this. Matthew's audience primarily are Jewish people who know the Old Testament. So Matthew directly quotes Old Testament prophecy ten times. That's a lot. And he alludes to the Old Testament over 250 times. Over and over and over again, he's saying, You're looking for the Christ, you're looking for the King, he's here. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the promised King. He's the promised King, he's here. But Jesus is also a kind of unexpected King. He's not a king who rules with an iron fist or with a physical sword. Jesus does not come initially, as people expected, to to destroy the nations and to drive out the nations. He does not come to to destroy the enemies. He does something more drastic, I believe. Something more drastic than that. He comes as a compassionate king. And Jesus, with full compassion, he has compassion on people as king, and he uses his kingly authority to gather together together the outcasts. He gathers together the outcasts. This is intentionally evident in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus himself actually comes from a long line of outcasts. And this is why Matthew includes his genealogy. Jesus comes from a long line of outcasts. In the ancient world, if you were to write your genealogy, it, it, it always, uh, most traditionally followed the Father's side. And so when you look at Jesus' genealogy, it's predominantly male-oriented, right? It lists the men on the father's side. That's how they listed genealogies. But did you notice? Uh, the Matthew, the way he tells it, Jesus' genealogy as it recorded in Matthew's gospel is not predominantly male. It actually has four females listed, four women. Did you notice? There's Tamar in verse 3, Rahab and Ruth in verse 5, and Bathsheba, or he doesn't even name Bathsheba, he just says the wife of Uriah in verse 6. It's interesting because um, Matthew doesn't, doesn't talk about Jesus' connection uh, to the more famous uh, patriarchs of Israel, uh, who, would, who would be Sarah and Rachel and Rebekah, the wives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus is connected to them, but Matthew doesn't mention them. Instead, he mentions these women. And all four of these women are actually outsiders to the nation of Israel. Tamar was a Canaanite, uh, and so was Rahab. Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba was a Hittite, like her husband Uriah the Hittite. Again, that doesn't mean all that much to us, other than they were outcasts. They were not of Jewish blood. They were not part of the nation of Israel. Israel, and on top of this, on top of the fact that they're just uh, ethnically not part of the nation of Israel, each of these four women has a stigma attached to her. Tamar, you can read about her in Genesis chapter thirty-eight. Uh, she she was one who was. Um, who was dishonored by her brother-in-law after his brother died. She was lied to by her father-in-law, and then so she dressed up as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law into impregnating her, which all happened, right? Okay. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth worshipped foreign gods. Bathsheba was the one who had an adulterous relationship with King David. The Jews, they expected that this Messiah would come, who would be the perfect Messiah, who would drive out their Roman oppressors, who would crush the nations and establish God's rule and reign once again. But at his first coming, King Jesus did not come to wipe out the nations. Jesus Christ came to save the nations. Jesus came into this world to gather the outcasts back home to God. And he goes beyond that and he removes the guilt and he removes the shame of marginalized people like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. He wipes away shame. This is a preview of Matthew's gospel. When you read through it, who does Matthew hang out with? I mean, who does Jesus hang out with? Who does Jesus hang out with? He hangs out with outsiders. He hangs out with people who are unclean. Jesus gets close to the diseased. He gets close enough to touch them and contract their diseases. You just don't do this sort of thing. Yet this is why our king came to gather the outcasts and heal and bind up the brokenhearted. Did you notice that three out of those four women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy were sexually exploited? Statistics say that one out of four women and one out of six men will be sexually abused or exploited during their lives. This sort of staggering statistic and reality has been, been, been coming to the forefront in our society in the last year with the Me Too movement. And we know these dark realities probably all too well. And I know that even some in this church bear those deep wounds, and they, they bear those some of you bear those deep wounds in your lives from past abuse and exploitation. And often those wounds are even deepered, deepened and opened even further wide by the shame that comes with it, and the shame that's placed on us from outside people or from Satan himself who wants us to feel bad about our situation. Shame is something we can all relate to. Shame is something we can all relate to. It's, it's a product of sin. It was the, the very first product of sin that Adam and Eve experienced, right? They ate the fruit, they looked at each other, and they, they felt shame. We understand shame. But the beautiful thing about our Jesus, our King, is that he came to take away shame. He came to take away our guilt and he came to take away our shame. You could say that, that, that guilt, guilt is, is, is something where sin is done by us. So we feel guilty when we commit sins. That's what guilt is, and Jesus came to take away guilt. But shame is sin done to us by other people or by Satan himself, right? And Jesus comes to take it all away, to wash it all away. Jesus came to take away our guilt, and he came to take away our shame. We don't have to drink away our shame, work away our shame, eat away our shame, cry away our shame, bury away our shame. There is help in the name of Jesus. Jesus is not a king who sits on his almighty throne and says, try harder. Jesus is a king who humbles himself, and he steps down from his throne, And he comes to meet you and me in that deepest place of shame. And when we feel the worst, the most disgraceful, the most unloved, that's when Jesus' light shines into the darkness and he says, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. Jesus came into this world to give us a new lease on life, to bring us back from that dark place. We do not have to live in shame. We are not worthless. We are not damaged goods. What other people have said or done to us does not define us. In Christ we are clean, we are whole, and we are his. There is help in our Savior, our King Jesus. Jesus is a compassionate King. He's our compassionate king. But many people did not understand this kind of king. They didn't didn't expect this kind of king. They didn't want this kind of king. They did not like this kind of king. And so that's when things came to a head on Good Friday. And as Matthew records it, the final word that was spoken above Jesus before he died was placed on a sign, a final sign of mockery, which said, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. One last shot of mockery as he breathed his last, that sign hung above his head. (laughs) You say you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. But on the third day, risen from the dead, Jesus spoke these words in the next chapter of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ha! That's what you would expect of a king, right? That's what you want your king to have, all authority not just on earth but in heaven and on earth your king rules and reigns above all things and your king your savior your messiah the promised one jesus the son of david uses every ounce of that authority to welcome you outcast to welcome you sinner to bring you back into his family once again this day For now and forever, you are His. You are loved by Him, welcomed by Him, and the family of God is where you belong. Each week in this Advent Sermon series, we have published a list of questions for you um, in your bulletin. They are printed for you. I want you to take this home in the Notes and News section. So this is a separate little insert. Take this piece home with you. And on the, on the front page of the notes and news section at the bottom, it says, for next week. And there's a little read-ahead exercise. That's the portion of Scripture we'll focus on next week, uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's a tough story for me to read uh, personally. Maybe we'll talk more about that next week. But there's some questions for you to reflect on in preparation for that. I ask you to take that home, uh, pray on that, spend time in preparation for next week. We go now, though, in the name of our risen Savior, the Almighty King Jesus, the Son of David, in his name. Amen. Amen.